Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm a feminist. But I was reading about Australian broadcaster Lisa Wilkinson leaving her position at Channel 9 due to her not being paid the same as her male co-star to understand the nuances of this story and understand why women are paid less than men for the same job in every level of society. And I ended up on a Pinterest page (laughs) of Lisa Wilkinson's 10 best hairstyles And then Googling a black and lime dress she was wearing and finding out if it was still available and in my size and ordering it. I'm a feminist, but even though I have a very loving and equal relationship with my husband, as soon as he gets in my car as a passenger, I get self-conscious and start driving a little bit shit. I'm just like, I'm not competent. It just happens. I do know that feeling. I'm a feminist, but last night, The Guilty Feminist was up for an ARIA Broadcasting Award in the UK. And I wasn't annoyed we didn't win as much as I was disappointed that the awards coincided with this trip to Australia, which meant I didn't get the chance to pose on the red carpet. (laughs) 
in a fabulous frock and put the pictures on Facebook. And I'm really only talking about this now to say that we got nominated for an award. we should have won but then I found out the guy that won that he like talked about sad things oh yeah he talked about someone dying basically um, this is a man cried if I cried people would go get it together if a man cries give him a prize that's true that is true men get rewarded for tears because it's like oh my god he's handsome and vulnerable come on now come no it is good when men cry because they don't cry enough and then they end up punching and shooting instead. But I still think there's no need for prizes. Unless it's like best crying, unless it's like most beautiful crying, like oh, yeah. most glorious tear mm. kind of. I'm a feminist, but I spent longer worrying about what I was going to wear tonight than I did on my material. <laughs> Well, it's worked out. Thanks. If you're, I, if you're listening at home, Cal is in a fabulous dress. That's yes, I bought it. it in Darwin. And the reason I bought it was that it was a hot day in Darwin because it was Darwin. <laughs> and I tried it on in a market and it was way too expensive. But after I'd had it on for a couple of minutes, I went, I've sweated in this. I have to buy it. <laughs> That's how Darwin gets you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but my friend, who was a famous actor was staying in my spare room on my futon for three months when he was renovating his flat. And when he left, I wanted to get rid of the futon. And so I found a fan site <laughs> where like about 24 women were obsessing about him, like in terrifying detail. And I phoned him and said, can I tell them I'm selling a bed you slept on for three months? and get a bidding war going on eBay. <laughs> and he said, if you split the profits with me, yes. <laughs> it was exploitative, but lucrative. <laughs> and in the end, I couldn't bring myself to do it, but what put me off was not that I didn't want to exploit women. It was that I was too scared for these fans to come to my house and collect it. Because <laughs> I thought it might be a misery situation where they just basically tie me down and go, get him here or we're gonna cut your legs off. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I've owned this dress that I bought in Darwin for over a year, and I've never worn it before tonight because I'm worried that the darts at the front of the bus to make me look like my nipples are erect. <laughs> I'm wearing a padded bra, but I'm just worried it looks like they've forced their way through the fabric, and they're like, here we are! I mean, it is a very good podcast. Yeah, no, it does, no. Well, that's why it's a great dress for a podcast. <laughs> Live from the State Library of Queensland in Brisbane, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with Deborah Francis White and guest co-host Al Wilson. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. Um, I've just realised there's a box on the table. Someone just said it's not a bomb, which is not reassuring. Why would you say that? It's a box and it says, I'm a feminist, but I still refer to my strong, hardworking, calloused, cracked, broad, cocoa-stained mitts as man hands. 
cocoa bean down under, the guilty feminist. This is from Fran. Is this present? <gasps> fuck the fuck off. <gasps> We asked for snacks, and Fran provided. We asked for snacks. We asked. This is really hard, because we didn't get to have a snack before the show. I had a little nap, because we had to get up really early for a plane, because we were booked on a really early plane. And I was thinking, I'm really hungry. And now this is like torture. Oh, my God. I might have to have a bit of one. Also... Nobody's gone for that. They've like, Thank you, Fran. Could you please call your beautiful cocoa-stained mitts Fran Hands instead? Oh. (laughs) Very good. I'm so want a cake. Now... That's why I moved them just out of your... When you're doing your stand-up, mm-hmm. I'm going to eat cake. <laughs> Don't that, be distracted by it. In that case, I will do the same for you. Great. It's only okay. fair. All right. So we always pick a theme, and we've done some quite serious ones lately. We've done faith. We've done minefields. There's been a lot of political stuff going on. I don't know if you've noticed. The world's gone fucking mad. <laughs> what is happening? What is happening? What is happening? So tonight we thought, we're in Brisbane. I just want to have fun. Tonight's, tonight's theme is sexy. Yeah. It felt like doing something. Just, and I really feel it is a feminist topic because if you feel a bit embarrassed about feeling sexy or like living that part of yourself, there's a whole bit of you that's human that you're not really comfortable with. And you're sort of always leaving a bit of yourself at the door. You're a bit embarrassed or ashamed by part of yourself. And it does affect how full and open and, and loud and proud and, uh, you can be as a human being. And women are constantly shamed for their sexuality. Mm-hmm. We feel a bit embarrassed about wanting sex. Or we're on the bus and we're going to work and it's like not convenient. <laughs> it's not appropriate. <laughs> or, I don't know, like, you know there's that thing that guys... I saw a TED talk recently and this woman, she was like a sex expert and she said the most common position for married couples is doggy style. No, no, not what you're thinking. It means he's begging, (laughs) he's sitting up and begging and she's rolling over and playing dead. (laughs) I was like, oh, come on. That is not what I know. Many women I know closely where we have those intimate sex in the city brunch conversations tell me that the problem is that they have a higher sex drive than their male partner. And might perhaps use phrases like, Jesus, you're wearing me out. I haven't heard that. Um, <laughs> I might have heard that. Same. Yeah. Mm. So it's important that we kind of own it, feel it, take charge of it, I think. So that's why tonight... The Guilty Feminist is going sexy. We are bringing sexy back. Please welcome to the stage and make fabulous woohooing noises for Cal Wilson. Thank you. So I've, I've been with my husband for 14 years now and he decided not long ago that he wanted to spice things up a little bit with us and I thought we were fine but he was like, no, we need to spice things up and I wanted to, I was going to say I wanted to give him a hand. Um, I, um, I, I was like, well, I, I can be helpful but I, as, much, as much as I love my husband, I also like to annoy the shit out of him. I don't know if anyone else enjoys tormenting their partner. Does anyone else enjoy that? Oh my God, I love it. So this is not a sexy story but I will tell you, this is what I've been doing to my husband for 14 years right this is not a joke this is just what we do right so or what I do so um, every time we come home from a night out I make sure I'm the first one out of the car and I run to our front door I unlock it I turn around and I pretend it's our very first date and I reach up I give him a kiss on the cheek I go 
thanks so much for a lovely night. <laughs> and then I run inside and lock the door. <laughs> so I've been doing that to him for 14 years, right? <laughs> he has not laughed once, right? <laughs> Does not find it funny. Finally broke him just before Christmas last year. We were, we were coming home from a Christmas party and I'm getting out of the car as usual and I'm get, just getting out and all of a sudden he's just running past me. <laughs> he stops, he picks me up, he throws me into the birds of paradise. He keeps running. He gets to our front door, he unlocks it, he turns around, he goes, thanks so much for a lovely night! <laughs> Runs inside, locks the door. Would have been hilarious, except we had our eight-year-old son with us. He was, he was there just lying on the doorstep going, why has daddy left us? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, mate, probably your fault. Um, so, so, so when my husband said he wanted to spice things up a bit, I was like, all right, I can help, but I can also continue to be annoying. And so <laughs> what I did was I let him get into bed first and I went into the bathroom. <laughs> I do this all the time, right? It's not a one-off, right? So he gets into bed, I go into the bathroom to prepare. So what I do is I go and I get my plate, I put my plate in. <laughs> because I grind my teeth in my sleep. What a catch. And then I get my pawpaw ointment and I put it all over my lips. And then I put it all around my lips. And then I do my nostrils with it. And then I smooth down my eyebrows. I give myself a nice all over sheen on the face. And then I get my pink flannelette nighty. You guys are from Brisbane, you've probably never seen flannelette. Uh, it's like a blanket, but in clothing. So I get, I get my pink flannelette nighty, which I got from Kmart when I first moved to Australia 14 years ago. It's got owls on it, still has some of its buttons. It's got, um, it's got a pocket and a peekaboo tear on the shoulder. I put that on, I've got my pawpaw ointment on, I've got my plate in, and then I commando crawl out of our bathroom into our bedroom, and I come up over the end of our bed. And I crawl towards him going, you're a lucky, lucky man. <laughs> and then I try to seduce him, <laughs> but in the character of an elderly drunk woman. <laughs> because I'll be one eventually, and you may as well get a head start. So, so. He first mooted this idea that we needed to sex things up a couple of years ago, and so he took the first step and he sent me a sext. It was the first time he'd ever sent me a sexy text, and it would have been great, except he had a new phone, and autocorrect <laughs> changed lick to kick. <laughs> so I get this text message from my husband. I read it, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, that is quite a violent image. <laughs> didn't know what to do and so I thought about it for a minute and then I sent one back that just went look I can see what you're getting at but I'm gonna have to report you to the Cats Protection Society <laughs> if you can't work out what the text said front row's got it sorted out they'll let you so, so what the text actually said was, come home quick so I can kick your pussy. That's what it said, right? So all it did was give me this mental image of our cat sitting in the passenger seat going, oh, fuck, don't go home, just drive, drive. And the other problem with the text was not only had it got kick in it, he also used the word pussy. And I hate the word pussy. I just don't find it sexy at all. For some reason, it makes me think of a squeaky dog toy. I don't know the word. Like a pussy, pussy, pussy. Like... <laughs> It just sounds like something, I don't know, they, whizzy, whizzy, like it's just, it just, every time, whizzy, 
if it's a word that you like, uh, it's not anymore. <laughs> now, now that I've put that image in your head, yeah. But it made me start thinking about what is the word that I am most comfortable using for like what is my because well, I quite like vagina but it's quite a formal word like it's the name that you would call it if it was in trouble you know like <laughs> vagina go to your room um, so then the thing is right that I still haven't settled on what the word is that I, I quite like the term growler which is a <laughs> which, which is one that we used to use at high school I don't know if it was it did you have it in Australia I don't know if you had this yeah because I like it because it sounds like a kind of little friendly Jack Russell that's up for anything, like, yeah! Um, I'm always interested in what people call it. So I asked my neighbour, and like, we're friends, it wasn't just like, can I borrow a cup of sugar? Um, what do you call your vagina? Like, it was, um, we were mates, and she had a, a daughter the same age as my son, and like, with my son, like, we use all the anatomically correct words, you know, like, he knows he has a penis, and I felt weird, though, when he was about four and he pointed it at my chest and went, what are those things called? And I just felt weird about going, those are mummy's breasts. <laughs> like I just, I mean, obviously I probably shouldn't have used the voice, but. Um, <laughs> and while I was kind of thinking, going, what am I going to tell him they're called? He went, I'm just going to call them your fat things. So. <laughs> his little heart. Uh, so, so I asked my neighbour, I was like, what do you, what's your word for it? And she goes, well, oh, I just felt vagina was too full on to use with my daughter. So I made up a word and we call it the viverva. <laughs> I was like, what, what do you call it? She goes, the viverva. And, and like, the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. Because it sort of, it feels like one that you can use in any situation. Like, you know, for a little girl, you can be like, oh no, put your pants on, I don't want to see your viverva. Like, but, but then as an adult, you can be like, would you like to see my viverva? What I, what I like is that all the women in the room are really into that and the guys are like, ha I'm scared, I'm scared. I'm turned on but I'm scared. ask audiences like what are words that people like for it and one of my favourite ones was an elderly man yelled out fascinator <laughs> which I thought was quite beautiful but confusing around Melbourne Cup <laughs> so so my husband has said, you know, he wants things to be sexier. And so I've realised that, you know, as a New Zealander, I've married an Australian and um, both countries are cross about that. Uh, so, but he, he has married a woman who has the least attractive accent to him in the world. Like, you know, like, and I was like, who, how can I make myself sound sexier? Like, who has the sexiest voice in Australia? And I've worked it out. It's the women that do the voiceovers on Channel 10. They have the sexiest voices because whatever they're talking about, they sound a little bit too turned on by it. Do you know the women I mean? They say stuff like, coming up after the break. <laughs> Master Chef. <laughs> you know the ones like, whatever they're talking about, they're just a little bit too aroused. Like, you know, it's like, tonight on a current affair, is sushi killing your family? <laughs> horrific and terrible. They could be like, bus crash in India, hundreds killed. Like they're just too, too into it. So I have, um, I have started using that voice around the house on my husband, um, but just on really boring shit. So I'll be like, would you like Vegemite on your toast? 
Have you seen our son's school bag? Someone's stolen our wheelie bin. This is my favourite one. This is my favourite, though. Have you given the cat his medication? is actually on medication. He's on feline Prozac for anxiety, which is fair enough because he's convinced my husband is trying to kick him all the time. But as with everything, there has to be balance, right? There has to be balance. And so because I have sexed up really kind of mumsy stuff, like I've set that up. I'm like, well, how can I make sexy things sound as mumsy as possible? So... <laughs> to do, right? So I, I let him get into bed the other night. I was like, how can I make sexy things out as mumsy as possible, just as mumsy as possible? So he gets into bed the other night and I come into the bedroom and I'm like, right! <laughs> Who'd like a lovely blowy? Because <laughs> of course he would, but not like that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm so terrible to him. This is so terrible. Passion ensued, and we're right in the midst of things, and I just reached over and I patted her on the back and went, I believe in you! <laughs> what I'm really happy about is that my husband does not listen to this podcast. So, <laughs> thank you. So we should talk about our challenges that we did. We got here and uh, we decided we needed to do a challenge and we wanted to do that challenge in Brisbane. So we Googled sexy Brisbane. <laughs> and I'm going to let you Google to see what came up. There was one thing that it was like some sex expo where you could go and, uh, you know, see. And we thought, oh, that's perfect. But we just missed it because it was on in February 2011. <laughs> It's nice that Brisbane wants to commemorate it by still having it up. Like, still had it up. It comes up quite at the top of the Google. Sexy Brisbane 2011. <laughs> Something sexy happened. Uh, so we were like, this is disappointing, Brisbane. And Cal said the idea of sexy lingerie was sort of one of those things where it's sort of for other women. You know, I don't know if anyone feels that. I guess I've struggled all my life with feeling sexy. And as a comedian, my job is not to be sexy. And I spend a lot of time thinking about what I'm going to wear on stage when I do stand-up because I don't want to look sexy because that's not what I'm there for. But I have to really think about, okay, what is this dress saying? Or, you know, men can walk on stage in a flannel shirt and skinny jeans and do their comedy and... That's fine, but as a woman, everyone's going, oh, that's, oh, what's she wearing? Oh, oh, high heels, oh, I wonder if she'll trip over in those. Maybe that's just me, that's me projecting. Um, so I feel like I don't tend to explore that very much. I was a very late developer as a, a teenager. I um, was the last girl in my class to get a bra, which I knew because every time we had PE, one of the girls would stand up and go, who's got a bra? And everybody else did except for me. So I eventually asked my mum to take me bra shopping and she took me to the department store because you always go to a department store to get your first bra, right? Sure. And the women that run the bra department are always about 90 and they're like sort of beautifully upholstered like sofas, like they're all quite sort of, <laughs> they have magnificent bosoms, you know, like they're all kind of structured and, and they have hair that they did on purpose and they're kind of, you know, there's... <laughs> and so in Christchurch, the department store where you go to get your first bra is called Ballantines and it's like the 
Someone been to Valentine's. I am Valentine's. So um, my mum took me to Valentine's and we got up to the bra section and my mum said very proudly, I've come to get my daughter her first bra. And the woman looked at me and went, we don't make them that small. Have you thought about a camisole? And so I was deeply traumatised by that. I went home, a little bit more traumatised by the fact I overheard my mum laughing about it on the phone with one of her friends. <laughs> and you then, can always count on a mother for yeah, support. I mean, fuck it, I'd do the same myself now. I know that now. But I was traumatised for a third time when that friend that she'd been giggling with on the phone came to our house with a little brown paper bag and in it were two second-hand bras that her daughters had worn. Oh. And so my very first bra was like a second-hand T-shirt bra and a oh. second-hand, you know, and I used to say, you know, they weren't A-cups, they were egg-cups. Like, it was like, a t- they were tiny bras. But I, So ever since then, I've found, like, bra shopping quite traumatic. And there's an added weirdness. I went in to get a sense bra not long ago and the woman in the shop recognised me and she went, oh, we've got a celebrity as I was standing in the changing room. I was standing there and someone else popped in to see who it was. Not no, not someone who worked there, just an older lady who was like, oh, I wonder who it is. Like, just... So it was like, so I have baggage around bra shopping yeah, and, and no, because I, I'm quite small-breasted, like I've always felt sort of inadequate and like, well, you know, small boobs aren't sexy kind of thing. And then I also have the added trauma that I came off stage one night and I wasn't wearing a padded bra, I was just wearing a normal bra and a guy, as I was going outside to get some fresh air, went, those were stiff little nipples. And I was sort of like, oh, thanks, they were my dad's. Um, I didn't... <laughs> Since then, I've always been like, I've just got to wear a sensible padded bra so that no one... And this is why this dress is very confronting for me, because it's like, oh, no, they've drilled their way through. Here they are. <laughs> so the idea of buying sexy lingerie was quite challenging mm. to it, me. And listen, we're not saying that lingerie equals sexy by any means. This was just something for both of us. But all my bras are, like, black. Like, some of them are kind of lacy, and they're nice. It's not that I don't ever do that kind of thing. But to go out of my way to go and buy something that's a little bit more out of my comfort zone and just sort of present myself, like I'm going to go down the street feeling like sexy under my clothes. So we just thought, look, this is a fun challenge. We'll go lingerie shopping together. I said to Cal, because it's for the podcast, obviously, if you want to buy anything, the podcast will pick up. I'm not expecting, it's a challenge for the podcast. I'm not expecting you to pay for it. Cal then pointed at this shop, which is called, what's it called? Do we need to give them advertising? Do you want to say what the, the name yeah, is? Yeah, because I think people here might know Oh yeah, know so it. they're Honey Burdette, right? Honey so Burdette. I've never yeah. been in that shop before. I, like, Cal Honey says, Burdette sounds like something that you would get at a deli. There would be a delicious, <laughs> small, that maybe Fran might have made, you know, like a little kind of cakey thing, like, oh, I have one of those Honey Burdettes and a salted caramel muffin. <laughs> and so, Cal said, oh, Honey Burdette, they do nice lingerie. They fancy, sexy, sexy, fancy lingerie. things. So, we go in, and we're both looking, and it is quite fetishy. It's not like La Perla or anything like that. It's not sort of... There's a lot of scaffolding. <laughs> there's, and there's also... They sell sort of riding crops and... Latex, sort of, latex leggings. A and, lot of latex um, and vibrators, as well as the sort of bra and, like, suspenders and stuff like that. So we were both a bit uncomfortable in there, but we are like, no, this is good, this is good, this is good. It's good that we're uncomfortable. This is what it's for. Let's just explore this side and see if we can sort of go, yes, this is who we are. We're the kind of women who wear sexy bras. And who don't feel, who don't feel at all weird about being in a sexy no. bra shop together, one of them having said to the other, I will pay for your knickers. Well, that's, like, that's where it got awkward, because I went, God, if I were a man now, I'd be Harvey Weinstein. Because yeah. 
I've said to someone who is working on my podcast, so do you want to come and do this podcast? You know, it's talking about feminism. Yeah, 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 I love the podcast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Why don't we do a challenge where I buy you knickers? <laughs> what? Yeah, I want to buy you a bra and I want to take you shopping for the bra and I'm going to pay for it. You don't owe me anything. Yep. Like, that's right. Yep. But and we then, didn't realise that till we were in the shop and then we went, is this weird? No, and we decided it wasn't weird. No, it wasn't weird. And then Deborah asked me to send her a photo of me wearing the lingerie. No, <laughs> it was a reasonable request given what she chose. Now, <laughs> I'm sort of looking at the black because that's what I always look at. And there was sort of a black bra that looked like it had, it was like handcuffs sort of coming up to the neck. And I was like, oh, that's quite provocative. <laughs> Cal goes over to a section which I can only call Mary Poppins fetish. <laughs> it's basically, if Mary Poppins wanted a dirty weekend, this is what she would wear. It's sort of like, it was Caucasian skin coloured. They called it champagne. Not the colour of champagne. Um, so I'm wearing it, right? So these are the straps, right? So it was like, I think my idea of sexiness must have been formed by watching, like, carry-on movies as a child or something. So, you know, where there's those fabulous, like, Hattie Jark or whatever, and she's kind of covered in everything, but there's a lot of kind of strapping and bust and, and there's yeah. sort of that kind of pinky skin tone and... and suspender straps and stuff like that. And I was like, well, I'll give that one a crack. And uh, I, I really liked it. I feel like I've got a carapace on. Like, so, because it goes, it goes from like here down to there, right? And um, it's got a lot it's of sort three of pieces, strap work. It? Yeah, two pieces. Oh, it's two pieces. Because I was so short, I didn't need the third bit that joins the two together. <laughs> Drift there was bit. a midriff. She was like, she goes, looking at you. She was amazing. She was also, like, we walked in and she was like, 10C. You know, like, she knew exactly. Yeah, she did. She could tell our sizes just from going like that. And then she said, everyone's always impressed when I can do that, but it's like Pretty Woman. It's like size six. It's my job to know. That's what she said. Yes. Uh, so I put the stuff on and I feel like I've got a carapace. Like, I feel quite powerful. I feel like a, a sex beetle, kind of like. I feel... Um, <laughs> realised as we were trying stuff on, I don't know, I've stood up. Also, what is happening is it's got, um, so I've got like stockings on and suspenders, but the ones at the backs, I haven't let them down um, long enough, and so they keep pinging off and striking me in the ass. Um, Backstage, she just kept going, oh! Yes. So, so a wonderful guest that we have on later, we have known each other online, this is the first time we've physically met, and I am talking to her while just groping my own ass. <laughs> But it's like, I don't know if you can see, but at the back, it's coming out of the dress, but it's proper scaffolded. Can you see like that? Yeah. I if you're know. If you're, um, if you're listening at home, there's a lot of strappage. And it does look like, I, I said, like... is there a helmet that comes with that? <laughs> I look like Madonna in the 80s, right? I look, I've got that kind of whole thing going on. But I realised that I didn't like the little kind of frippery kind of fairy floss, kitteny kind of things. I was like, I want to feel powerful. Like, I think feeling sexy for me is obviously about feeling powerful rather than feeling about you know like it's not you know it's Madonna rather than Kylie you know like like for me when I looked at Kylie I always felt like her sexuality was like whatever you would like and Madonna was like what would I like like that so I think that's what attracted to me so it's that kind of old-fashioned lingerie but then when I put the suspenders and stockings on the stockings have got quite an industrial kind of band around the top and it suddenly turned from being carry-on to you know there's a war on like <laughs> 
I feel like it got a bit practical. And then I also realised, because I was like, well, I should... How weird is it to tell my husband that I'm in another city with a woman who has just bought me sexy underwear? And I was like, well, let's see if I can get something sexy out of this. So I texted him, I'm like, um, so the Guilty Feminist podcast is paying for me to have sexy lingerie, and I get excellent back. And then I, um, I text him and I go, shall I send you a photo? And I get, yep. And... <laughs> And then I was like, and this is my attempt at sexy talk. Instead of going, I'm going to fuck your brains out when I get home, I go, I'm going to book you in for Sunday night. <laughs> and I get, I get back, okay. <laughs> book you in. No, it's just, you know, the block's on. You know. <laughs> the block's on? The block's on. It's a reality the block. renovation. Oh, yeah, the block, the block. You know, reality just like, we'll just... So after the block? I think we can probably record the block. Oh. Um, she's going to record the block. But that's also, a big but also, commitment. If you're listening internationally, that's a reality show about renovation that is uniquely Australian. <laughs> and and the they've tried week. to make it work in other countries. Everyone's just like, what? No. But here, there is nothing sexier to Australians than finding an unrenovated property. <laughs> Buying mirrored surfaces and, you know, selling stop, it to stop somebody it, else stop for it, a crazy amount stop of it, Deborah, money. Stop it, Flipping it. Flip, uh, flipping it. Uh, That's right, Australia. I'm going to do you up and flip you. I'm going to get you cheap and make you expensive. I'm now in the situation where um, I have sent Deborah the photograph of me in the lingerie. It's which lovely. She, she does look delete. very. But I, I had a peep in the. She she asked me to in the in the in the dressing room as well. And then we had and, a pillow fight, and <laughs> she did look absolutely brilliant. And I had gone, oh, do you sure you want this sort of Caucasian skin coloured sort of like? It felt a bit granny to me. But then when I saw it on, she was right. It was phenomenal. Sex gran. Uh, so. Um, <laughs> It is like armour, though, isn't it? It's yeah, kind like, of, yeah. It's proper Madonna armour. I'm quite warm, is what I'm saying. Um, but I'm now in this weird position where I have sent a photographed Deborah of me in my sexy lingerie, but I have not sent it to my husband because he is on his way home from basketball with our eight-year-old son, and I know that my son plays with his phone in the car, and I do not want to no, scar him for no. life. It's important that he does not see that. Yeah. Um, so how did you go with the challenge, well, Deborah? the lady was offering me all of these sexy options, and I was just like, just some of them had ropes on them. They did. They had ropes. They had. It was all kind of bondagey and stuff, and it just didn't feel like me. It just felt I don't know. There was something about it that I just actually. The lady ended up saying, "Put the one on Cal's got on," and I was like, "That's too much. I can't be the Bobsy twins with Cal. We can't leave <laughs> the, the same twins. underwear." And then do the show in the same underwear. That's too much. So I tried on these like latex hot pants, and I could feel myself getting they thrush. Good. I could. I could feel. I could feel thrush coming. I could feel it forming. I was just like, no. Give me a large cranberry juice and get these the fuck off. No. No. This is not okay. This is not okay. And I tried on, there was one bra that was kind of okay, but it was still black. And it still had that sort of, ooh, sexy black bra thing. And I was like, no, I need to do something different. And the only thing that would be different for me is colour. So we went into Maya. And Department store, it's the Ballantines of Australia. Was. But then I felt really depressed because, firstly, Cal had got something from the fetish shop. 
and I was then like in Maya, like I was shopping for a bra with my mum. Like it was just that feeling. So I, did, I was I looking did point around. out a camisole to you. She did, as well. she, she was like, oh, she said, what about a navy camisole? And I was like, fuck off. And <laughs> I was just depressed and sad. And I was just like, and then I went in to try some stuff on, and it was four-way mirrors, gang. Like, no. I know. That is the sound of women who understand. Yeah. Nobody needs four-way mirrors with that like overhead harsh lighting. I refuse to believe that's how I look. It just, it's, it's, there's no need for it. It's torturous. And so I got really depressed. And then Cal saw this hot of hot pink iridescent bra and knicker set. And she said, what about that? Just go and try it on. And I tried it on. And I have to say, I did feel sort of iridescent and fabulous in it. And I was like, yeah. Like even in the four-way mirror, I was like, yeah, I can be hot pink. I can be magenta. I can be cerise. I don't, I mean, all of these sounds like names for people in girl bands, but I, just yes, just yes, I can do this. So do you want to see what, what I ended up with? It's a strapless. It's not sexual. I'm just, I'll show you a little bit. It's more like a bikini top or something like that. What can if, you see? What, did you, did, did a manja shirt get it off? Oh, sir, that is very dangerous in this room. Did a manja shirt get it off? Was that you? There's a man, the man is looking behind him. Like, definitely someone, but there's only women behind you. And it was a man's voice. Oh, I've just realised that my bra's out. <laughs> um, so, do so, you see, it's kind of like a pink, I'm not going to take it all the way off, but just so you get the idea. Um, to me, to me what of, it looks like, it's the sort of bra that you could streak through a hotel foyer in. <laughs> and I may later this evening. <laughs> Come to the... Come to the Hotel McCure, King George Square, if you'd like to see that around 1am after some drinks. Yeah, but it does feel different, like wearing colour. And I think I've been developing a theory lately that you don't have to be queer to be in the closet. A lot of times when queer people come out, they kind of come all the way out in a sort of hokey-pokey, get your whole self in, get your whole self out. Because there's no option. Like if you're out, you're out, you might as well be fabulous. And the closer you are to convention the more likely you are to behave because then you can be rewarded by society for conformity. And so I sort of think as women sometimes, we need to just get our whole selves in. Who are we really? And that may be, you know, capoeira lessons or a funky pair of shoes or a punk rock haircut or a decision to take up more space on a bus. Like whatever that whole self in is for you, like why are we living at half-mast all the time? That's what I feel. I was going to say something very inappropriate about uh, not saying that to a man. Why are you at half-mast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, let's not encourage them. Hello, this is Deborah briefly interrupting your guilty feminist listening pleasure to say hello. And I have co-created a new podcast with the BBC for Radio 4. It's called Grown Up Land and it's all about how to be a grown up. It features the wonderful Bisha Kayali, who you will know from The Guilty Feminist, the fabulous Mae Martin, who you will know from The Guilty Feminist, and the wonderful Ned Sedgwick, who you'll know from Global Pillage. It also features Steve Alley, who you've heard a lot about on the show each week, and guests. Last week's guest was Jess Foster Q. So please tune in to Grown Up Land. If you just go to the BBC Radio 4 website and search for Grown Up Land, it'll be right there. Coming up is a trailer so you can hear how good it is yourself. 
Also, if you are in London, Global Pillage Season 6 begins this Saturday, 24th of March, 4pm at King's Place. Please come along and be in our hive mind. We can't wait. And now, a little bit of grown-up land. And then back to the Guilty Feminist. Hi, I'm Mae Martin. I'm Bisha K. Ali. And I'm Ned Sedgwick. And we're so excited to welcome you to a new podcast from BBC Radio 4, Grown Up Land. Each week, join us as we take a topic from the adult world that we're struggling to get our heads around and look to the grown up land of Radio 4 for answers and advice. Yeah, we really only look at the big, philosophically complex issues. How close do we have to be for you to get a friendship tattoo with me? I could do it for you. Oh, really? I've done it with a needle and um, a Bic pen. Like Wait, a, a needle and a Bic... Were you in prison? No, I was at a dinner party and things got out what? of hand. I mean, that is an out-of-hand dinner. When a dinner party gets out of hand for me, we crack into their parents' port. Like, we know... <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, but every week I'll roam grown-up land in search of a new challenge. I've literally just pierced my ear for this programme and I have some regrets. So I just got a phone to a couple of piercers... I'm just going to go and get a simple ear piercing, just walk in. A lot of people weren't okay with me recording it. Not really sure what they didn't want me recording. Just relax. I'll try. Can't feel done. How was it? Uh, (laughs) The kind of fear of the pain has passed and now the fear of my friend seeing the saddest mate with a piercing is kind of set in. (laughs) We'll also be joined by a special guest each week to try to unpick your dilemmas and solve your problems. This week, our guest is Ed Knight. He's a stand-up comedian. He was nominated for Best Newcomer at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival this year. Hello. Hello. Thanks How for having me. Okay, this is a question from at Hensers. When I was 10, I wanted to be an accountant desperately. Maths was always my fave subject. I ended up in recruitment, and now I'm kind of lost. It sounds like mm. their bliss is accounting. Yeah. Follow your bliss. Yeah. yeah. And also make do it you. your side hustle until your side hustle becomes your hustle. Like, yeah. just do it on the side. Start writing sums in the dust on cars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Toilet walls. Whatever. And the amazing Steve Ellie will put everything in perspective for us. Here's another question. This is from at Imaginary Really, who says, I want to get a tattoo to piss off my parents, but I can't decide what to get. Ideas for tattoos that will annoy my parents the most, please. Um, so this sounds like it's time for Steve Ali's perspective. Steve is from Syria and he's here every week to help us with the questions that we can't crack ourselves. Steve? Hey, Imaginary Really. Your problem reminds me of the time when I was living with my parents. They used to annoy me and sometimes I wanted to do things to piss them off. But then when civil war broke out in Syria when I was 19 and we had to flee and I had to leave them, I found that me having to get across dangerous borders and message them whenever I could get signal from refugee camps freaked them out so much more than anything else I could do. So I recommend if you really want to piss your parents off, go stateless and let police, border police and international governments do it for you. So welcome to Grown Up Land. Make sure you subscribe so you can catch our adventures in the terrifying adult world on a weekly basis. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. 
every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. to uh, the bookshop to see what the received wisdom was about sexy. And there are three books that are seminal texts in sexy if you go to a bookshop. And they are The Rules, The Game, and The Rules of the Game. <laughs> the Rules is for women. The thesis of The Rules seems to be to not return a man's calls until he marries you. <laughs> that is it in a nutshell. It has advice like, don't drink on dates. <laughs> it's for Americans, because that would be the whole Australian and British dating system. <laughs> how would we know it was a date? <laughs> nobody, I don't understand how it would be a date. And she also says, um, don't go on a mini break with him until you have an engagement ring. How would anyone get pregnant? So that book horrifies me because it implies that a woman would only want to be with uh, a man. It's very heteronormative as well, but it, it implies that men need to be caught into marriage and that women don't want sex, that they want somehow to snare a man. The game and the rules of the game are both written by Neil Strauss and they're both horrifying texts uh, for men to pick up women in bars. Uh, guys in the audience, who's read the game? Yeah, yeah you have, yeah. Uh, have you used anything from it, sir? Uh, to laugh at, okay. I'm going to come back to you later because sure. I'm questioning why you read it. Um, <laughs> this is the genuine advice. Now, this book is available in any airport. It's an international bestseller and men are using this all the time. If you go out to pubs or clubs, I swear to you, men are using this. This is well known. And this is the genuine advice in the game for a man who's trying to pick up a woman. And it's very much sort of, you know, pick her up for casual sex, never call her again. That's the idea of it. So the first piece of advice is get a haircut, get nice clothes, have good hygiene. Fair enough, I suppose. <laughs> the second piece of advice is when choosing your outfit, always have at least one item that is outrageous and garish. Like a plumed hat, <laughs> platform shoes, or an LED belt buckle. <laughs> this gives the target, that's what he calls the woman, Something to notice. <laughs> Plumed. <laughs> so now you have a man approaching you with a plumed hat, <laughs> glam rock heels, and your name in lights on his belt buckle. <laughs> when approaching, never approach directly from behind. It's too creepy. <laughs> never approach directly from ahead. 
It's too confrontational. <laughs> the best, least creepy, least confrontational approaches are from 10 and 2 o'clock. <laughs> I wasn't going to shag him, but he came at me from 10 to 2 and I melted. <laughs> Create a false social constraint to make her feel safe. For example, if I weren't gay, you would so be mine. Now with the plume tat and the theatrical downstage entrance, I sort of assumed you were gay anyway at this point. But how that's going to help you get a girl into bed is not clear. Well, it wasn't clear to me. I had to ask some men about this. Do you know what it is? It's, they assess that a woman is more likely to confide in a gay man and let her defences down. And then at a crucial point you say, I've never been attracted to a woman before but you're special. Yeah, a woman they're actually ganged. I think she just realised what happened to her in a bar last week. Carry props, like magic tricks and palm reading equipment. Magic tricks and palm reading equipment. Plumed hat, 10 to two, I'm gay, ace of spades. Get her to help you make a list. For example, tell her you've forgotten the names of all the oceans. <laughs> Avoid creepy lists like serial killers. <laughs> now I think if Neil Strauss thinks that even one of his readers, when asked to come up with a category for lists like oceans, goes to serial killers, he should not be advising that man to keep that a secret until he gets the woman back to his place and shows her his extensive collection of Ted Bundy tea towels. <laughs> Insult her while complimenting her at the same time. For example, you're too good for that dress. Is it because you lack confidence? No, it's because I lack a restraining order. This is called negging. Have you ever had a man do this to you? Yeah. yeah. This is very common. This is very common. If you get the target back to your place, how? 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 You've just done a magic trick and told her she's ugly. You'll need other props too. Like condoms and lube packets. Lube packets are... That's presumptuous, isn't it? Why are you... This is the first time you've had sex. If you're having to say I was lying when I said I was gay. Have other props lying around. For example, strum a guitar. Or have a puppy and play with it a bit. I hope that's a euphemism. Because if that's a real dog, that is not right. Finally, ask her a series of questions to which you know she'll say yes. This makes her more likely to say yes when you ask her the question to which you want her to say yes. It's called the yes ladder. I think it goes like this. Do you like ice cream? Yes. Do you like kittens? Yes. Do you like men with trash books where their souls should be? Yes, I meant no. Too late, you're up the yes ladder. <laughs> that is the game. Now, uh, you, sir, who've read the game, did you get anything from it? Um, not when it came to talking to women. I mean, I 
didn't have a lot of male friends, so I just substituted the like the female noun in the book with a guy and used it to talk to men and make male friends that way. <laughs> and stuff so God only knows but yeah. yeah so for the listeners at home if you didn't hear that uh, the chap in the audience sorry I don't know your name Kieran Kieran in the audience just said he didn't have a lot of male friends he didn't want to pick up women but he wanted to make more male friends so he used everything in the book <laughs> to make male friends you gamed men <laughs> to be your friend did you but when you get them home and you've got the puppy there <laughs> Strumming on the guitar. That's, that's when it's a metaphor at that point. Yeah, so then, yeah, yeah. What did you wear? Because some men in Britain I've asked about this, and one guy said, Oh, yeah, I do the peacocking, which is the plumed hat. And I said, You don't look like you're peacocking. He said, Oh, I wear a loud cardigan. Because <laughs> he's British. Because that's peacocking in Britain, it's a loud cardigan. Did you peacock at all, Kieran? Not particularly, because, I mean, I wasn't really trying to take him home in that regard. <laughs> what, what from the game did you use on men to get them to be your buddies? A lot of what's in that book is simply just the case of how to open a conversation with someone. What? I've forgotten all the names of the oceans. Yeah, basically. <laughs> You've got to start somewhere. You've got to start somewhere. Listen, you heard it here from Kieran. Never, never, never use this to manipulate someone into sex. It's the unsexiest book in the world. But if you need new friends, forget the names of the oceans. Thank you very much. So, would you like to meet our fabulous guest? Uh, she is a playwright, a screenwriter, a writer of all sorts. Uh, she has a, a fabulous uh, new series on SBS coming out next year called uh, Homecoming Queens. Please put your hands together and make fabulous Brisbane noises for Michelle Law! Uh, so, Michelle, yes. how are you? I'm very well. Would you like a cupcake? Yes. Would you? I, I had, I had they? one, they're Did chocolate. Did you have one? Yeah, while you were doing your stand-up, I said I would. I was watching her. <laughs> yeah, I was secretly scoffing a cupcake. Did you not have one while I was doing that? No, one? I was listening with my mouth as well. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so you're doing this amazing show called Homecoming Queens. And it's about, is it autobiographical? It's semi-autobiographical, so it's based on the lives of um, my life and my friends. What's the sort of premise of it? What's the plot? Uh, the premise of it is extremely unsexy. <laughs> it's about two young women in their mid-twenties grappling with chronic illness and trying to be young while feeling really old. Mm. Yeah, so pretty fucking sexy. <laughs> but that's interesting, isn't it? Because if you are taken by either illness or disability when you're young, you can feel it robs you of your sexuality because society is holding up something else as sexy. What are the conditions in the television show? Mine is alopecia. So I've had alopecia since I was a teenager and I've sort of had it on and off. If you don't know about it, it's an autoimmune disease that makes your head hair fall out. There are other types that are more extreme that cause all your head hair to fall out and all of the body hair to fall out. So I've got sort of an in-between version of it where it's like totalist and universalist. So I've lost all my hair. So this is a wig. 
and also my eyebrows and some of my eyelashes as well. So you had alopecia very young. Yeah. And then your friend in the show... My friend in the show, uh, Chloe, she, when she was 22, got breast cancer and she was sort of used as a case by the doctors as like, this is completely baffling because she doesn't have the gene. Um, She didn't really have that much of a history of it in her family. She went in and got a lump biopsied on a Tuesday and then had a mastectomy on the Friday. Oh, my God. How do you work through that? I mean, so we're going, oh, you know, we're not sure we feel sexy in bras or we're the kind of women who can kind of do all that. But when you've got that extra element, how do you conquer that? How do you realise that you are sexy as yourself? Well, it's interesting. I won't speak on Chloe's behalf because she is a non-binary person, but she's okay with female pronouns. Um, So she's sort of going through her own journey of what it means to be a non-binary person who has a very feminine illness. Whereas for me, I'm a cis woman. I grew up and lost my hair in the first year of high school, which is the best time to lose it, really. If you're you're going to lose it. If you're going to lose it. You've got to go fucking all out. That is peak relaxing time to lose it. Absolutely. Uh, So I first started losing my hair when I was 12, 13, and I pretty much was bald after a period of about six months. And so when I went to school, I'd wear bandanas. I'd always be questioned by people about, you know, if it was a religious thing or if I was a lesbian or whether it was a fashion statement. And I remember feeling just this intense feeling of I wasn't allowed to be sexy Mm. or I wasn't allowed to have crushes on boys because what could I offer them? Which is quite a heartbreaking thing. And when I look back at like little Michelle, it's like, oh, little Michelle, you're all right. But... It is a harrowing thing to lose a signifier of sexiness and femininity at an age where you are noticing people that you're sexually attracted to and wanting to feel sexy as well. And I remember wearing, feeling like I wasn't allowed to wear feminine clothing. So I would wear like a lot of hand-me-downs from my brother, like, you know, some khaki shorts and an old T-shirt or very neutral colours because I didn't really want to be seen. Mm. Yeah, so it was this really interesting dichotomy of you're at an age where you want to be noticed but at the same time I really wanted to be invisible as well. And so when did you sort of come to terms with it and realise that it was okay and that you could be sexy and... Gosh I think it's a bit of an ongoing journey. I think even before that I never really felt like a sexy person. Mm-hmm. Well if um, you're only 12 that's right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's correct. Well that's true. Well I guess I never... Maybe the thing is that that journey was a bit stunted and I'm still coming to terms with it now. I guess it's this ongoing feeling of, yeah, like what does it actually mean to be sexy? And we were, you guys were chatting about that before and that's having confidence in yourself and owning who you are. And I think I've gotten better at that as I've gotten much older. And it sounds really awful, but it was when my hair grew back and then I felt like, yeah, my life is back on track. And then when it fell out again, I was like, well, fuck, now I've really got to sort my shit out. (laughs) That was when I really had to face the fact that this was going to be my life. I always had this expectation of, you know, when my hair grows back, that's when I'll be a whole person. Or, you know, that's when I'll look like who I'm supposed to be. But it's like, this is who you are, mate. So for me, it's been a bit of an ongoing journey. But... I definitely feel more comfortable in my own skin now. And certainly when I'm at home and with friends or, you know, just going and hanging out with mates, like I don't wear a wig or anything like that. It's more just for everyday life to make things easier. Mm. What would you say to a teenager now who had alopecia in order for a teenage girl to feel powerful and feel sexy and feel like that's not really what it's about? 
I guess I would tell her that there is no real beauty ideal. And you see that this is a really crude example, but when you see, you know, those experiments where photoshoppers take an image of a woman and Photoshop her to look like an ideal version of like the woman in their culture. Right. I feel like there is no right way to look as a woman. Do you think it's because we just see so many images? I always think the options that I'm presented with are Jennifer Aniston or Jennifer Lopez. Pick one of those. That's how you have to look. And every day you're doing things to edge more closely to one of those. The distance we feel from that on a daily basis or because of how we're dressed or because we've just lost weight or we've just had our hair done or we've just, you know, put on weight or we've just, you know, all of these things that are completely really in truth, we know we're relevant to how sexy we are because people are attracted to people. There is this sort of constant iconography. And before J-Lo and Beyonce, there was basically Kate Moss. And that was a terrible era for someone like me with hips because I am very blessed in the hips department. <laughs> well, now you've got all these conflicting images now because hips are in and people are mm. loving the Kardashians. Thank God. <laughs> Bless but, them. You know, I, there was this experiment where it was like, you know, take all the ideal features of what a woman looks like. And it was like Kim K's hips, um, Scarlett Johansson's eyes. And it was just like this horrifying monster of a thing <laughs> <laughs> that didn't look at all human. I think for me um, as well growing up, in quite a monoculture. I was born and grew up on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, and we were one of the few Asian families. And like not only not seeing people who looked like me at school or in town, and then seeing you know media representation of what a woman is, which is like blonde and white and on home and away, you know that really compounded my sense of like you don't look right, mate. Mm. Yeah, I feel that because I was raised on the Gold Coast. And there was an imagery there of like very petite women. The more petite you were and the more slight you were and the more sort of slightly childlike you were, the better it was. And certainly the more tanned your skin was. If there had been spray tans then, everything would have been different for me. (laughs) I truly believe my whole life would have been different if spray tans had existed when I was a teenager. Uh, Young people today do not realise how lucky they are. (laughs) Because they can just spray it on and they can just live on the Gold Coast and nobody needs to know. That is not the right message for you, teenagers. That is a bad message. I am sorry, but that is true, though. I would have just been like, make me tanned, because that was the thing to be, and I could never do it. My skin would just go red like a lobster, or freckly, or white. I mean, and this is God. This is, this is, I am literally complaining about my white privilege. I'm so sorry. Like, I am so sorry. I feel so bad, Michelle. I'm just saying. I've just finished reading um, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by this uh, British author named Rennie Edo Lodge. And I've since been having a lot of conversations with white female friends where they'll sort of apologise to me. Mm. And I'm like, oh, mate, it's, it's all right. I don't need you to apologise. I just need you to choose to do better things. <laughs> it's... It's really interesting because some white people will be like, no, 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 we're all equal now. I have no particular privilege or I was working class or I was this or I was that. And they will deny white privilege, although it is evident. But I have a house guest at the moment in London who's a Syrian refugee. And he said to me, white privilege definitely exists. I feel it because he's quite light skinned. 
So he looks quite white. And he said, my friends who are browner than me, I see the way people treat me compared to them. He said, I get treated so much better. He said, I knew if I could get into the UK, I would get political asylum. And he said, I very much feel I have Syrian privilege and white privilege. And I was like, man alive, like what he's been through, war zones. And he was a firefighter in the Calais jungle for two years. And he's sitting there telling me about his privilege. And I think, God, it's so interesting. The less you have sometimes, the more you can see what you have. Absolutely. And what really hit me in the book when I finished reading it was that she talks about the fact that the problem with racism is the concept of whiteness. And it's so uncomfortable and difficult to grapple with this idea of whiteness as a race and also whiteness as a culture and a political paradigm. Also the fact that it shouldn't be our job to fix things, but that's what we've been doing all our lives. But it's really on other people to make themselves better or more aware. And it seems to be often white people, and I'm probably the same, like you're like, oh, shit, I want to get better at this. I will ask my non-white friend what I can do, but it's not your job. Like, it's my job to educate myself and read the book that you're talking about or, or, you know, find my own way to find my information rather than kind of go, could you just do some more work on that for me? Yeah. It's a lot of emotional Could you write me a ten-point plan (laughs) for how I can be better to you? And... (laughs) Could you break it down a little bit more than that? Because I feel like, how do I make your life easier? Write me a 3,000-word essay on that. Um, So what books would you recommend we read so that we don't ask you? Well, I actually had a year of reading people of colour only. I didn't feel like that was exclusionary at all because my entire life I have been reading white authors and not realised. And I studied writing at university and was taught white authors by white people. And it wasn't until I sort of started self-educating myself and realising that there are so many global stories out there, um, there are so many migrant stories, that the world sort of blew up for me in terms of not only literature, but just worldviews and politics Mm. and things like that. And I think the main thing is also just not seeing whiteness as neutral. Right. Yeah. You read the tagline for a movie and it's like, she's trying to find love. And it's always the assumption that a white woman's trying to find love. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and she, Renée Lodge talks in the book about how she when the Harry Potter movies were coming out, she was in love with Hermione. She was her favourite character and she was the right age and she wanted to audition for Hermione, but she knew that it was hopeless because she's black. The Harry Potter play in the West End, yeah. they do have a... a they, they do cast, have a black cast, Hermione. Yeah, they cast a black Yeah, actress. and there was a huge controversy about it, but J.K. Rowling actually never stipulates anything about Hermione's race in the books. No, I think she says she has dark curly hair and she's like, it makes total sense that she's black. But yeah. pe- but people are like, you know, it's a bit like the female Ghostbusters. People go, you ruined my childhood. And you go, hmm. <laughs> but if that's going to ruin your childhood, you really need to reassess how your life's gone to date and yeah. what you're going to do with it going forward. Because but also, yeah. I think you can only ruin someone's childhood at the time. I don't think you can retrospectively... <laughs> ruin it like like I can't go oh Deborah you ruined my wedding that was 10 years ago <laughs> by not being there like no it's, it's you happened. didn't invite me you've had well, I didn't know you oh. <laughs> well whose fault is that <laughs> also like the new Doctor Who is going to be a woman which I am so excited about and like there's a fantastic photo of the women Ghostbusters and there's a wee girl just gazing up at them with such adoration and delight. And it's so beautiful We go, that little girl has just seen herself up there and mm. knows that it's possible. Yeah. Like, it's so but exciting. Representation is everything. Like, it makes such a difference 
to see yourself. Yeah, that's right. And it's interesting what you were saying as well about making yourself visible, because that's really been the bedrock of my career. I, growing up, I, I really wanted to be an actor, but I knew that I would never be able to do that unless I was playing masseuses or mail order brides. It's just the truth of it. And I would go to auditions and I'd have to put an accent on. And I have an Australian accent, like I'm so ocker. And so I'd have to go to auditions and pretend to be someone that I'm not. It wasn't until I was sort of having to figure out what I wanted to study at university. And I decided to study writing because I knew that it would give me more power and agency to create my own work. And that's what I've done with this show, which I am now acting in. Oh, you're, a- you're acting in it, that's amazing. Right. Yeah. yeah. time for a question Jeff no, no we don't the man told us no no the, patriarch- the patriarchy the patriarchy is telling us it's time to go home uh, so can you quickly plug your show Michelle where can we see you and this podcast is international so oh, fantastic um, you've got a play coming up at Belvoir Street I Theater. have a play it's the second run of my play that was at Le Boite Theatre in Brisbane at the start of this year. It's called Single Asian Female, and it's going to be the second show of the Belvoir Street Theatre season next year. And I've also got Homecoming Queens, and that's SBS's first online web series, and that's going to be on SBS On Demand in 2018 as well. Yay, fantastic. Do you have anything to plug and can you read our thing? Yes, I will. I have a festival show coming up in 2018. It's called Hindsight. It will be going to all of the usual big cities in Australia, except for Dubbo. Um, Dubbo, I've never been to Dubbo. I hear it has a lovely zoo. Um, I don't know why I'm now just being sad about Dubbo. Oh, sorry, Dubbo. Um, I have a festival show next year called Hindsight, which will be Melbourne International Comedy Festival, Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, Adelaide, Canberra. Um, You can find me on Twitter at Calbo, C-A-L-B-O. And I would like you to follow The Guilty Feminist on Twitter at GuiltFemPod. You can check out our Instagram, instagram.com slash theguiltyfeminist. Like our Facebook page, sign up to our mailing list to get notified as soon as each new episode is released. I should be doing this in the sexy voice. And please... Go to iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe. (laughs) Give it five stars out of five because it helps other people find the podcast. (laughs) You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me. is lingerie clearly we know that sexy is confidence and sexy is how you feel about yourself sexy is a connection with another human being all of those things but but it is one element isn't it bras how they make you feel how you make them feel is there a reason that I'm being underscored by sad advertising music for life assurance it's like It's like the music at the Oscars. We've talked for too long and they're just fading us out. (laughs) 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com